grab your Bibles and stand to your feet for the reading of God's holy word. I am so glad uh, to see you all here this morning uh, to be in the presence of our Lord with you. And this is a, a, a great opportunity for us to uh, sit under God's word together and to learn. Um, if you have your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPad, your i-whatever, amen, whatever you have, uh, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Uh, the title of today's uh, message is The Four Images of a Strong Man. The Four Images of a Strong Man. And I just want to say to all of our fathers here today, Happy Father's Day. Uh, we are so thankful for, for you. Uh, we're thankful for God strengthening you to be uh, dads and, and good dads. And, and today's message is not just for fathers, but it's for all men. It's for young men. It's for teenagers. It's for young boys as we're going to look at God's word and, and see four images of, of a strong man. And we're going to look at and learn together to see uh, what the Bible defines as a strong man. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. And then we're going to skip down to verse 11. Uh, this book is written uh, by a, a man by the name of Paul. Paul was a great teacher and, and preacher of, of the Bible. He actually wrote about 13 books in the New Testament. And this book is specifically called a pastoral epistle. Uh, this is a book that is written uh, from Paul, who was an apostle, one of uh, the, the founding fathers of the Christian's faith, to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Uh, so let's go to God's word together and let's read and behold its, its beauty and its wonder. And the precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, matchless, wonderful name, a word of God reads. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in, every, in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Verse 11. But this saying is trustworthy, for if, I, if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. You may be seated. Again, happy, happy Father's Day to all the proud papas here today. And I pray that you have already, if your father is uh, living and available, wished him a, a happy Father's Day. You know, fathers, dads, men, we are constantly being bombarded by the media and by the world with pictures of what it means to be a strong man, with pictures of what it means to be, to have strength and courage. And the world's picture isn't, isn't necessarily God's picture. And most of the time, the, the media gets it wrong and, and society gets it wrong, so it's important that we see what a true picture of a man is. Uh, a few months ago, there was a, a picture on uh, Yahoo in the news feeds of a guy by the name of Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong is a, uh, was a, is a famous uh, sportsman, He's a, a cyclist, a, a really, really uh, was on the top of his, his sport uh, a few years back, won many awards, was probably the greatest cyclist of all time, and he tweeted a picture of himself at home sitting on a very lush couch, and he was surrounded by all of his awards for cycling. On his wall, there was pictures of the jerseys that he wore while winning the Tour, Tour, Tour France and all of these other things, right? And he tweets a message that says, at home in Austin. I believe it said, at home in Austin, just chilling. 
And I looked at that picture and for many men, we say, yeah, that's what it means to be a man. It means to be able to, to live a comfortable life. It means to, to be able to have gained the respect of others. It means to be a winner, to have dominated a specific area of life and to be able to sit back and enjoy life like a king and chill. Not many weeks after, Lance Armstrong was brought up on charges and indicted for using steroids. It came to the surface that throughout his, all of his victories, his, his five major wins, that he had cheated through each one. So that picture that we see of Lance at home, surrounded by his great accomplishments, sitting on a plush couch, was not really the way it was. Quite frankly, he was weak. Quite frankly, he proved to be a man that lacked integrity, a man that was willing to cheat to get ahead. In the eyes of God, even though Lance Armstrong was over an organization that said live strong, he's not strong, he's weak. And the world's picture of a man is deceptive. And it's weak. And one day that picture that the world and society has painted of what it means to be a man will crumble in the presence of God. And God will judge those who live their life according to that standard of success. And the true picture of a man will stand before everyone as his son rises off of his throne to receive and embrace his people. Being a man is not about this personal success that points to oneself. Being a man is something completely different. Paul here is talking to his son, Timothy. Look at verse 1, and look at what he says. You then, my child, what a, what a way to approach Timothy. Now, we need to understand that Timothy is not Paul's biological child. He's not Paul's biological child. But Paul addresses him as his child, not in a demeaning way, but it, from a heart that cares deeply about Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4, we read these words. Paul writing to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be fulfilled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells with you as well. So Timothy uh, had a father in his life, we read in Acts, who was Greek, who was not a, a believer. Uh, we're not sure of that relationship. The Bible doesn't go into it, but, but Paul says that Timothy was reared in the fear of the Lord by his mother and grandmother. So Paul meets Timothy, and they begin to have a relationship, and he begins to mentor him. Timothy becomes Paul's spiritual son. He becomes the person that Paul pours into. In fact, after Timothy goes for a while with Paul on the mission field, Paul leaves him in a city called Ephesus to be a pastor. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage a young pastor, a, a young man who he considers his son. Who he considers his son. Paul has a tender heart for Timothy because God has given him a tender heart for himself. And Paul sees this young man who did not have uh, uh, the spiritual influence from a man that he needed. And he comes alongside Timothy and he begins to mentor and walk with him. Some of you here today are men may not have children physically. But God has given you an opportunity if you if you walk with him and, and seek spiritual maturity to be able to have spiritual sons. 
And some of you have sons and lots of kids. And I just want to encourage you, men, to, to, to be encouraged and to not be afraid to come alongside a, a young man, a, a new Christian, someone who doesn't have a father present in their life and walk with him. Teach him what it means to be a man of God. Show him how to live in and through God. And there may be some young men here today who are grieving because you are experiencing daddy deprivation. Maybe your father is not in your life. Or, or, or maybe your father is in your life, but spiritually he is numb and does not know Jesus. I want to encourage you to seek out mentorship from other men. Go to the Lord and pray and say, Lord, give me someone. Send someone to come alongside me and to help me, to show me what it means to be a man of God. Paul did this for Timothy. His heart is overflowing for him. He calls him his child. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, we say that Paul has not only this heart for Timothy, but he has this heart for the entire church. He is constantly calling the church his children. His children. And we see Paul talking to his child, and he has a message for his child. And that message is simply, be strong. Be strong. Look at the verse. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is the message of this entire book. Be strong, Timothy. Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, has a proclivity, has a tendency to be timid. Timothy is timid. Timid Timothy. And he's coming along Timothy as he is pastoring and shepherding. And he probably sees in Timothy's heart this timidity. And he's trying to encourage him. And he says, Timothy, be strong. That's what we see in chapter 1, verse 7. Look at what he says to Timothy. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul is encouraging Timothy to not be weak, to not be timid, to not be fearful as he goes to minister, but to stand strong. He is encouraging Timothy in a similar way that Moses encouraged Joshua. Moses, an Old Testament patriarch, founder, one of the founders of the, the Jewish faith, Fathers of the Jewish faith comes alongside a young man named jo Joshua as he is getting ready to depart and go home to be with the Lord. In the same way that Paul comes alongside Timothy as he is getting ready to depart in the Lord. And Moses told Joshua these words in Joshua chapter one, verse nine. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He leaves Joshua with those words. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord is with you. Joshua was going to become the new leader of Israel. And he, as a young leader, needed to know that God was with him. The same God that was with Moses is with him. The same God, Timothy, that has been with Paul throughout his ministry is with you. Yo, God does not call strong people. The body of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 17 through 31, he says, rarely does God call the noble people of the world to do great things for him. He says, no, God calls normally the weak people of the world in order that there will be no boasting from man. No boasting from man. This is the type of people that God uses. God uses people who are naturally timid. God uses like people like Moses who said, Lord, uh, are you sure you want me to go before Pharaoh? I, I, I can barely speak. God uses people like Joshua. But sadly so, the church has bought into the lie that God only uses strong people. It's not true. We all need encouragement to be strong. We all need encouragement to be faithful, to not be timid. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be strong because Paul has recently been hurt and deserted by timid, cowardly men. We see this in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Paul mentions two men who have just left him hanging. 
Paul is in Asia. He's in jail. He's in prison. And back then, uh, in the type of uh, a lockup that he was in, he could have encouragement and have friends come to see him. But Paul's like, yo, these two cats, man, they just bailed. They just bailed. Like, man, they ain't text me. They ain't Facebooked me. I'm just joking. Amen. Like, really? When was the Bible written? <laughs> chapter 4, check out these words. Chapter 4, verse 9. This is the heart that Paul is writing from, a heart that knows the temptation of men to be timid, that knows the temptation of men to be passive. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon, for demons in love with the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So he's writing from a heart that has been deserted by two men we see in chapter 1 and in chapter 4 we we see a, a guy who we see in other parts of Scripture who travels with Paul and has been an encouragement to Paul. He deserts him and leaves him. He deserts him and leaves him. We see later in chapter 4 that Paul says, but I'm not tripping because even though all these people have, have left me and deserted me, Jesus stood by me. So it's not a heart of bitterness that he's writing from, but it's a heart that says, I need you to be strong. I don't need you to be afraid. On the contrast, we also see that Paul is writing in verse 2. We see he starts chapter, verse 1 by saying, you then, you then. He is continuing with a thought. In verse 16, he, he introduces a man who is faithful. He's saying, don't be like these two men. Rather, be like this man. Onesiphorus. May the Lord grant mercy, verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my, call, my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul says, Timothy, don't be timid like these men. Don't desert the faith like these men. Be like this man who refreshed me. God knows the heart of men. And God has called us to be a Christian in this world, in this society, is a bold calling. Because everybody is going downstream, but Christians, we're going upstream. We're going against the tide. And, and every Christian has a, a sense of insecurity and a sense of timidity. And I believe that many men have bailed on a church and bailed on Christianity because they don't want to deal with their fears. Because they're afraid to admit that sometimes I'm timid. Sometimes I want to be like demons and I want to go back into the world. But God is calling us to be strong in Jesus and to run to action, not away from it. To be like this man that Paul is comparing Timothy to and be a refreshing element in people's lives. God wants men to be like air fresheners. Have you seen the air wicks that you put on your wall and you set a timer and then it just, right? And if you don't put it high enough in the, on the wall, it'll get you right in the face. And it's just on a timer. God wants us men to be spiritual air fresheners. He wants us to be spiritual air fresheners in our home. He wants us to be spiritual air fresheners at our job. He wants us to carry the aroma of Christ to people. And to refresh people's souls by being men who are faithful. Men who are faithful to Jesus, not Jesus. I was... Recently, I ministered at a church, and uh, after I, I had preached, a, a gentleman came up to me with a, a, a powerful testimony, and he talked about how the, the sermon uh, touched his heart, and it was confirmation. And he told me about how recently he had really given his life to the Lord and stepped up and, and married a, a woman that was in his life. Uh, but after getting married, he was tempted to be timid, and he didn't want to stand up and be a, a responsible man. So he said, I started going back over to my cousin's house, who's a Christian, and he has a large house. And my cousin welcomed me back, and I asked, hey, man, is it okay from time to time for me to just come and sleep on your couch? 
And he said, my cousin looked at me strange and he said, sure. But after three or four days, the man said, one day his, his uh, cousin came in the house and he says, yo, man, let me ask you a question. Just one question. He says, why are you settling to be king of my couch when you can be king of your home? Why are you settling to be king of my couch when you can be king of my, your home? God has called us men to be kings, not, not in a lording way, not in a worldly way, but servant kings, servant leaders of our homes. But a lot of times we reject that because we're timid and we're passive. We're timid and we're passive. He said that that challenged him to step up and to be responsible. Listen, true strength is not found in self. True strength is found in God's grace. Look at what the text says. Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul does not come to Timothy and say, Timothy, just be strong in yourself. Dig deeper. Look in the mirror and encourage yourself to be great. But Paul says, no, Timothy, if you're going to be strong... It's not because you've decided to be a macho man, but it's because you have decided to be weak enough to run and depend on Jesus daily. That's what he says. He says, be strengthened by grace. Grace is the most important concept in the Bible. It is the most important concept in the world. Grace is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited favor. It's God's blessings to people who don't deserve it. Grace is God forgiving people who deserve damnation. But it also is God empowering people who are weak to do his will. Paul says, be strengthened by the grace of God. Other words, be connected to God and experience God's power as you pastor. Be connected to God and experience God's goodness as you pastor. Be connected to God and do not live with fear because fear is not from God, but God has given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. He says, Timothy, you cannot pastor. You cannot be the type of man that this church needs you to be, the type of man that your family needs you to be. You cannot be the type of man that you need to be on your own. You need Jesus. Man, we need Jesus. Don't move in your own power. If you hear this sermon and you leave and you say, I need to do better, let me make a list of things and I'm going to run out and do it, you will get slaughtered, you will lose. It's just a matter of time before you're in despair. But if you leave today saying Jesus is amazing, I need to stay connected to him because he does great things through weak, insecure men. Stand strong by staying in touch with the power of God. Judges chapter 6, verse 14 through 16, an incredible, incredible passage. God goes to a, a man by the name of Gideon, who most people overlook, whose tribe was considered as ghetto, weak. Goes to this man by the name of Gideon, and he gives Gideon a charge to lead his people into victory against a strong nation called the Midianites. Gideon is at work sweeping, cleaning trying to hide some stuff because they're about to be raided. And look what God says to this weak man, Gideon. Verse 14, Judges chapter 6. He says, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God shows up at his job and says, I'm calling you to save my people. He's like, how in the world can you call me to save your people? I'm a mess, and the tribe I'm from is weak. But listen to what God says to him. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So look at what God does. He says, you go in your strength, but I'll be with you. Other words, you do what you can do while depending on me, and we can do some stuff. <laughs> 
You go with the gifts I've given you. Moses, I'm the one that formed your tongue. I'm the one that gave you that so-called speech impediment that you're hanging on to. You just go and open your mouth. I'll give you the words and I'll give you the victory. Too often as men, we look at what we have and we get afraid and we say, well, I don't have nothing. But God looks at it and say, yeah, you really don't have nothing if you use it in your own strength. But if you give it to me, I'll multiply it. And I'll do stuff with the things that you gave me that you never thought you could do. Because you're going in grace. God's unmerited power. God's unmerited power. Men, be strong in Jesus and run from the action. Reject timidity. Reject fear. Know that God has not saved you to be afraid, but he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. So in this text, Paul gives us Four images of a strong man. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to be strong, and here's how you are to be strong. You have to see yourself as a teacher. You have to see yourself as a soldier. You have to see yourself as an athlete, and you have to see yourself as a farmer. He gives him four incredible pictures of what it means to be a man, and he says... Uh, to be a strong man, he says, in order to be a strong man, these images have to be uh, imprinted on your heart and on your mind. Now, as we go through these images again, I want us to understand that we can't be these things if we're not dependent on Jesus. This chapter and this verse, even the first eight verses, every few words you see Jesus Christ mentioned. Because Paul wants Timothy to understand the only way he's going to do what he's called to do is in the power of Jesus. In verse 8, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. As preached in my gospel. So he points Timothy, after showing him these four images, he points Timothy back to Jesus. And what does he point Timothy back to? He points Jesus back to the resurrected Jesus. Says the same power that resurrected your Savior from the dead is the same power that's going to resurrect your heart and give you the power to do what you need to do. That same power is living on the inside of me and on the inside of you. And then he also says, Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, says not only is this the resurrected Jesus, but this is also the majestic Jesus. The Jesus that was promised in the Old Testament that kept his promise. So when you go out to pastor, and as you're going out as a strong man, he says, you go out under the power of Jesus, the majestic king, not under your own power. Also, as we think about these four images, as we think about the image of a teacher, of a soldier, of an athlete, of a farmer that he's going to quickly lay out for us, we want to understand that these images and these roles cannot, uh, are, are not going to be fulfilled by passive men. They're not going to be fulfilled by passive men. Paul intentionally gives Timothy a picture of intentionality. He says, you being strong in the Lord and running to the action is going to happen if you're intentional. And not only is this a picture of intentionality, but this is a call to manhood. This is a call to be manly, to reject femininity. He does not give him four images like, oh, Timothy, I need you to be like a flower. He doesn't say, Timothy, oh, Timothy, oh, Timothy, I need you to be like a rose in a garden. No. He says, boy, I need you to be like a faithful teacher. I need you to be like a good soldier. I need you to be like a dedicated athlete. And I need you to be like a hard-working farmer. He's not saying it with a timid, with a femininity. He's saying it with a, a, a source of strength. Church has become too feminine. You got too many girly men. Oh, I'm about to make somebody mad. You got too many wusses. Maybe we need to start singing some songs. That show the other side of Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But Jesus is a warrior. Jesus was a man's man. 
Jesus looked at some dirty, strong fishermen, macho men. He said, yo, come follow me. I was like, yo, dog, I'm with you. Later on, they were saying, my God, my Lord, I'm with you. It's called to be manly. It's called to be responsible. Paul is calling Timothy to be a, do, a do-gobi man. A what? A do-gobi man. A man that is committed to doing, being, and going wherever God wants him to go. So let's look at these images real quickly. The first image is an image of a teacher. Look at your Bibles. It's an image of a teacher. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul says, the first thing I need you to see yourself, Timothy, timid Timothy, is I need you to see yourself as a teacher. Paul is writing to a pastor, and he says, don't be afraid to, to pass on the message of the gospel to other men. The message that I've entrusted with you. And look at what he says specifically to Timothy. He said, pass it on to faithful men who will pass it on to other men. In other words, he tells, he tells Timothy, Timothy, as the leader of the church of Ephesus, I need you to dedicate your mind and your attention to men who are faithful. He says, as a pastor, I need you to raise up other men who will be able to lead. And then those men will be able to come alongside the other man and encourage them. I need you to duplicate and replicate yourself in other men so that the other men are training up other men. Brother man. And that's the call of a pastor to train up faithful men who will pass on the gospel. Timothy's job is to raise up leaders who will raise up men. But we see in this passage that before Timothy can teach, Timothy had to be teachable. Before Timothy can teach, he had to be teachable. Look at what it says. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust the faithful men. So Timothy has been at the foot of Paul and he's had a teachable spirit. He's had a spirit that's willing to learn. And then he's able to go out and to teach to go out and to share the message with others. That's what we are to do as a church. This is almost a picture of a a relay team. Paul's saying, listen, you take the baton that that I'm going to hand you, and you hand the baton to faithful men. And those faithful men are to hand hand the baton to other men. It's It's a picture of a chain, a strong chain that is going forth. As people in a church, the men in the church are connected, and iron is sharpening iron. That's a picture of the church. But notice who he challenges. He says, you challenge the men to be teachers. Why? Because God has called men to be the teachers of their home, of the church. I recently had a conversation with a guy I was uh, witnessing to and building a relationship with. And uh, it, was a, it was a great conversation. He's doing a, a lot of good things uh, with his children. He was quick to tell me his Father's Day was approaching, and he's not in his congregation, and, and uh, I doubt it if you know him. Uh, he was quick to tell me all the great things he does with his, his kids, like hunting. And uh, he's really active in his kids' basketball career. And he was telling me all these great places they've been and all the hunting that they've done and all the sports that he's played with his sons. And I looked at him and I said, man, you are doing an incredible job with your sons. And I'm really encouraged that you've got kind of two of the big three areas kind of covered with your sons. You're you're taking care of them physically. You're teaching them how to be physical. And and you're, you're taking care of them. And you're teaching them how to provide for a family to hunt. But I said, what about the third area, the most important area? He said, what's the most important area? I said, the most important area is for you to know Jesus and to help them to know Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. I leave that to my wife. I said, no, 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 no. God says that that's your responsibility. And I said, if you get the other two right and you miss the third, you have failed as a father. 
And the other two is going to stem and flow from you knowing Jesus. But man, many times we think that the role to teach is our wife's responsibility. You say, well, my wife knows Jesus better and, and more than I do. And that's okay. That's okay. But according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, uh, you are to be the, the overseer to make sure that your children are learning about Jesus. And you're to set the, 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 the temperature of the home and to make sure people's heart is on fire and running towards Jesus. So, yeah, your wife may know more than you. Your kids may know more than you. But are you leading them to Jesus by encouraging them to read, encouraging them to come to church, teaching them? You are called to set the temperature in your home. Let's do that. Let me have all the men stand real quick. Man, look at all these men. Hey, man, let's give it up for our men. It's hard out here for a man. Satan is after men. And we have a room full of men. Men, your first identity. The image that the Lord is calling you today is to accept the responsibility of being teachable and being a teacher. That's who God has made you to be. Dates back to Genesis, the first male. God poured into Adam and said, you teach Eve. And when Adam failed to hold Eve responsible, when he was passive, Eve sinned. And the world became broken. And we are at the state that we are in, in this world, because Adam was passive. Be strong in Jesus. Run to the action and teach. Number two, you can sit down. Thank you. Second picture that we see is we see the picture of a soldier. The picture of the soldier. Paul tells Timothy to pass on the gospel the good news of Jesus to faithful men who will pass on the gospel to others. And then in verse 3 he says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who, who enlisted him. So Paul gives another picture of a man. He says, not only are you to be a, 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 a teacher, but you're also to be a soldier. I love it. And come with no flowery stuff. Throughout his epistles, when he's talking to the church, he's giving manly pictures. Because Jesus wasn't one who just walked around holding lambs, doing like this, holding children. Jesus was strong. He was a soldier. He came into the world to push back darkness. He confronted Satan and all of his demons face to face. He said, stone me, crucify me, do what you will, but I am going to stand here and be who God called me to be. God has called us to be soldiers. The moment we become Christians, we are enlisted into the kingdom of God. And every Christian from that moment on, 24-7, is an active soldier in God's army. But the picture that we often get of Christianity is a very passive picture. One that doesn't attack, but one that just responds. Paul says, Timothy, you be the one who attacks. You take it to him. And what does it mean to be a soldier, a good soldier? First thing you have to do is you have to recognize you're in a war. Man, we are in a war. And God created you. That, 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 that desire, that hunger you have for competition, that fierceness you have to build things, that love that you have of nature, that pursuit that's in your heart to go after that pretty woman that prayerfully is your wife, that has been given to you by God. He has given you that active instinct. And he has called you to recognize that you are at war. We're at war. We're at war. And the battle isn't against flesh and blood. The battle is against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's against Satan and his kingdom. And either you're on the Lord's side or you're on Satan's side. There's no in-between. Satan knows we're at war. 
Satan is attacking our strongholds. He's attacking you men because he knows that if he gets the men, he can get the family. Oh, if he gets the men, he can get the church. If he gets the men, he can get the community. If he gets the men, he can get the nation. He's coming after the men. 29% of African-American men are actually at home, 29% with their children. That is astonishing. Astonishing. 29% of children actually go to bed at night with a man present. Why? Because Satan is after men. Seventy-eight percent of Newburgh is unchurched. Got this statistic this week by a church planner who uh, tapped into a company that's doing extensive research on this area. Seventy-eight percent of this area does not belong to a church. We are at war. You see images of Iraq and Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan, and you see them at war being attacked. I want you to remind yourself that our communities and our homes are being attacked. And we've got to be strong, and we've got to run to the action. Sexual identity and the feminization of America and men has come to our front door. What does Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. And in chapter 3, verse 8, 1 through 8, go home and read it. I mean, that's straight up discouraging. If, if that was all Paul gave Timothy, <laughs> I, you know, he puts it right in the midst of a lot of encouragement, talking about how bad the world is going to be for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. He just keeps the list going. Paul's like, yeah, even though that's going to be true, I need you to be strong. I need you to be a soldier. I need you to be a good soldier. And what is the marks of a good soldier? In this verse, he gives us two marks. Number one, a good soldier shares in suffering. Shares in suffering. He's not afraid to suffer. He's not running away from pain. He's willing to come alongside his brothers and suffer with them. Paul, Timothy probably sees all that Paul is suffering, sees Paul in jail, sees how Paul has been abused by the churches, and he wants to probably run and go the other way. Paul says, no, Timothy, be a good soldier and come alongside me and suffer with me. Be like the man in verse 16 and not like the men in verse 15. Share in suffering. And we can share in suffering because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, because we serve a God who is the God of comfort. So even while Paul is suffering in verses 9 through 11, he lets Timothy know, yeah, I'm in chains, I'm suffering, but Jesus is not bound, and Jesus has given me joy. Because we believe the lie that suffering equals joylessness. But when you are in Jesus, even in the midst of your suffering, when you're suffering for Jesus, you are more joy-filled than the person who is not suffering and who is in the world. It says, come, come to action, brother. Come to action. Men, when we choose not to fight, you know what happens? We get shot. When we say, yeah, I'm in the Lord's army, but I'm going to kind of just chill, you know, kind of cruise through it. It's not like it's just neutral. Either you're attacking or you're being attacked. And if you're not being attacked, the people you're protecting are being attacked. Your family's being attacked. Your cousin, Nuke Nuke Bebe and all, is being attacked. Lil Wiz, the corner of 34th. He's been attacked. Oh, man. Baby, I'm so sorry. I got to go here. Sensitive, sensitive area, I know. We watched a movie. Uh, my wife and I called Saving Private Ryan. I love war movies. Um, I love stuff about the Navy SEALs. I'm reading a book right now called No Easy Day by Mark Owen. And it's about the guy who uh, 
uh, who was a part of the SEAL 16 that went and killed Osama bin Laden. Good read. But anyway, Saving Private Ryan, a movie about World War II and uh, the Normandy invasion. And there's a picture of two soldiers there in hand-to-hand combat. The reason I told my wife I'm sorry is because she watched this movie. She told me she didn't like war movies. Gentlemen, I don't think we was married yet. Actually, we was married. We just got married. She told me she didn't like war movies, and I made her watch it. I was like, no, you're going to like this one. (laughs) After she watched that movie, she cried half the night. All right? (laughs) All right. There's a scene in the movie where two guys, an American soldier, is fighting with a German. And the American soldier starts losing, and the German has a knife, and he's going right at the heart of the soldier. An American soldier is about 10 feet away from his brother, who is being attacked and who's about to die a very painful and slow death. He has a machine gun, and he does nothing about it. He gets scared and runs and hides on the steps while his close friend and brother dies. And that is the picture of a man who calls himself a Christian, but who is passive. Satan is slowly putting a knife into your family and to your brothers and sisters of Christ, to your children. And God is saying, you've got the grace. You've got the power. Stay connected to me. I know you're weak. I know you're timid, but just go and show it all. Show off the word. And watch people come to life and live. Second thing we see with the soldiers, not only does he share in suffering, But he also, look at what Paul says, verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Second thing, a soldier, he, he has a single focus. He chooses what's best over what's good. He says a soldier is focused on what his commander has commanded. Whatever his commander says, that's what he does. That book, No No Easy Day by Mark Owen about the SEAL 6 guy, I'm just amazed. It's not just about the capture of uh, bin Laden, but he kind of changes things up so no one will be able to figure out what he's talking about, but he tells stories about other missions. And I'm just amazed at how dedicated these men are to doing whatever their commanding officer says. And for those who have seen the resurrected Jesus and have come to know him as Lord and Savior, who has come to experience his grace and his love and his mercy, who has been snatched from the world and brought into the kingdom of God, whose heart has been made alive in Christ, who are no longer dead in their trespasses and sins. We, when we look at Jesus daily, we become intoxicated with our commander and we say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'm a little scared and timid right now, but you keep talking to me. I won't be scared. As long as you're with me, I won't be scared. And when I am, I'll run back to you, get strength, and I'll go back out. Men, are you on active duty? Have you come to Christianity with an attitude that says, we are at war. Jesus, you saved me from the enemy. And you've called me now to go back and get those men who are behind enemy lines. Or are you just chilling? on your comfortable couch, with all your awards around you. Third, real quick, about to summarize these two two verses in five minutes. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So the third picture we see is an athlete, an athlete, a committed athlete. And what does Paul do? Paul points us to the crown. He says athletes train because they want to receive a crown. They want victory. It says, if you are going to reject passivity and be intentional, it is because you are focused, just like that soldier, with a single eye on what's best. You are focused on that crown that you are to receive. And many times, men, we are able to be passive because we don't think about the day of judgment enough. We don't think about that one day we will stand before our gracious God, our awesome Savior, and we will be held accountable. And we will 
stand in his presence. The ultimate reward, the crown, is seeing Jesus and hearing him say, faithful servant, well done. And he says, what can get the athlete off of uh, track? It's him not knowing the rules. He says, no, a good athlete, he knows the rules. A good NBA player, before the season starts, he checks the rules and see if they have changed what, what the, the rules for guarding a player is. What is hand checking this year? How are you calling the game? Because he wants to make sure nothing gets in the way of him winning, of him competing. Paul points Timothy to the day that he will receive a crown from God. And he says, focus on that. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, to preach the word. He starts that section, and for the next seven verses, he says, Timothy, I charge you to preach the word. But before he goes and charges him, he points him back to Jesus, the one who one day will judge him. And then at the end of that section, in verse 8, he says, hence, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And three other times in 2 Timothy, he points to that day. He points to the day that Timothy will be crowned. He said, Timothy, don't be timid. Trust in Jesus. Run to action. Remember that one day you will stand before someone who is way more terrifying than the men that you surround yourself with daily. I'm not calling you to be like Jesus, man. I'm calling you to trust in Jesus and then be like Jesus. Being like Jesus without trusting in Jesus will crush you because you can't do it. Fourth, the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer. You got your Bibles? You with me? You ready for this last point? You sure? My go do be man. Are you ready? All right. Look at what he says. Verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So Paul lets him know this is going to be hard work. This is going to be toiling. In fact, in the Greek, this word uh, uh, literally is a picture of a person who has exhausted himself working. He lets Timothy know, I know pastoring is hard. I know pastoring is tough, brother. But you've got to be a teacher, you've got to be a soldier, you've got to be like an athlete, you've got to be like the hard-working farmer. You've got to understand that, that this is what you do, man. You toil, you get in there, you step into people's lives, you step into broken situations, you're at war. You're on active duty, people are shooting at you, but you dis you're disciplined like an athlete, you know the rules, you, you're, you're like that farmer, you're waking up early in the morning at the, at the sound of the rooster. And you're going out there, man, and, and you're, you're, you're milking stuff and feeding stuff and, and, and planting seeds and uprooting stuff. So this is, this is what you do. And for men, our temptation is to run away from hard work and to run to ease. But I'm telling you, hard work with Jesus is more fulfilling than a life of ease without him. Hard work trusting Jesus it's more fulfilling than a, a life of half commitment to Jesus with ease. Hard work with Jesus will one day allow you to be in the presence of Jesus and to hear him say, yo, faithful servant, well done. Hard work without Jesus will get your family manipulated, beat up, taken advantage of, will result in unnecessary quarrels and drama. Because you have rejected being a man of action and have chosen to be a man of passivity. Young man, God has called you to so much more. He's called you to his son. He's called you to know what it means to be forgiven, to know what it means to be accepted, to know what it means to live a life free of guilt and, and condemnation, to know the God of this universe. God gave his only begotten son for you. He allowed him to die on the cross so that you would be free from his wrath. And he's called you. He says, I want you to join my army. And for the next 60, 70 years of your life, you will be committed to my mission and I will be committed to you. And after that's over, you will be with me forever with no suffering, no pain, and no tears. But I'm calling you to work. 
And the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But those who are working, even though it's hard work, they have joy because they know my son, Jesus. So how, as a church, how are we going to do this? As a church, I believe it's the pastor's responsibility to make sure that we're teachers. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are passing on the message of the gospel that we've received to faithful men who will teach faithful men. So we've started something called the Men's Institute, which is starting in August. The Men's Institute is our attempt to put a process together here at Forest Baptist Church that will teach men to be teachers, soldiers, athletes, and hard workers, farmers. And what the Men's Institute is, is it is a discipleship process in which men from all over the city are going to come to Forest Baptist Church on Saturday mornings from 10 to 11.30, and they're going to learn what it means to be a man from Jesus' perspective. For 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes, there's going to be a teacher who's going to teach the lesson, and then after that, for the next 30 or 40 minutes, each man will be put into groups, brothers, huddles, and they will begin to talk about the lesson together and see how they can grow in looking more like Jesus. This is our attempt to be faithful with the message and to raise up men who will teach. And I'm calling you to be strong in Jesus and to run to the action and not away from the action. The institute is just that. It's an institute. After someone has completed the institute, they uh, will graduate, and uh, we're going to celebrate the men who complete, completed. The institute is six semesters. Each semester is six classes. In between each semester, first semester is August 17th to September 23rd. In between those semesters, there's going to be a short break before the next one begins. Men, you have your winter's free, your, your December and November's free, and January free, and you also have your summer's free. So we're going to come together for the fall, for the spring, and for the spring, and we're going to learn about what it means to be a, G, to be, to be a, a man, a strong man, a strong man. And after you finish, we're going to celebrate you. We're partnering with other churches in the city, and we're going to throw a banquet, you will get a certificate of completion. And for those who have been faithful in coming, you will then go into apprenticeship, which where one of the pastors or leaders of the church will walk with you for a short time, and then you are going to go take what you've learned and teach other men. And when those men have completed those classes under your teaching, they will graduate. You will be celebrated. Once a year, we're going to throw a party like none other for men. We're trying to work with some organizations to get these organizations to underwrite this uh, effort in order that we can bless the men who graduate, in order that they can walk away with book and resources to be encouraged. Why? Because we want to do it? No, because we love Jesus. Because we're at war. Because 70% of our children aren't in the presence of their father regularly, and most of them, fathers, don't know Jesus. Because 78% of the men in this community lay down at night without being connected to church. Because the media is telling our children that what it means to be a man is to carry a pistol, cover their bodies with stuff that don't mean anything, run after women and ruin their lives just to sleep with them. That's not what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be a coward. But the church, we've been entrusted with a wonderful message that says, I'm not here to condemn you. We're not here to condemn you. We see where you are. We were there, and we're still messed up. We're still doing stuff that's not, that, that's not all the way there, but we're trusting in Jesus, and we want to walk with you and show you what life on the other side is really like. So listen, if I can have my deacons and, and ministers to stand, because each of these men have committed to the Institute. Each of these men have said, we are going to be, do, go, be men. We are going to trust in Jesus and run to the action. But there's also some men in here who have already committed to be a part of the Institute. 
Paul in his letters, he calls out men who are not faithful, men who are slothful, and he celebrates men who are faithful. So we've been announcing this for two months. Brother Jared is going to be our small group teacher. He can stand up. He's going to help us to challenge men in their small groups. But I want those men who have already signed up, meaning that we have, uh, you signed up to stand, and we want to celebrate you today. We got Deacon Dobbins in the back, Brother Todd. These are men who said we are tired, we are tired of Satan running up one side and down the other. And we are ready 